just in case you're wondering where our front two or three rows are, there's a youth staff retreat this weekend, and so they're, they're off retreating. So pray for them as they finish up their retreat and pray for good fruit to come out of it. It's a great time for student ministries in our church. So lots of good things happening there. It's good to have a, th- a day set aside for Thanksgiving. That's coming up this week, just in case you haven't got your turkey yet. We have a lot to be grateful for, so it's good to have a day set aside specifically that's supposed to be for Thanksgiving and not just for football. Yeah, sorry. The retailers are really great for the great uh, grateful for the next day being Black Friday. And in fact, many of them are being so kind to to send me emails reminding me of that. They're even offering me special deals in advance. So the, the, the least I can do is, is um, be thankful and, and go out and spend lots of money, huh? We are more thankful for what we have, have when we have been sustained through suffering and hardship and when we have been delivered from suffering and hardship that we are more grateful for those things when we've had a hard time. So, for example, if we've not had lots of food and we've been starving, We've been very hungry. We're very grateful for food. In our culture, we don't typically have that problem. Um, we, we pretty much take food for granted. We can go to Costco. We can go to Safeway. We can go to um, other places, and, and we have food at our fingertips, fast food, slow food, everything between food, microwave food, refrigerators full of food, more food than we need, more food than we can eat. We are um, grateful for good health when we've had bad health. We've gone through seasons being sick, whether it's severe or prolonged. We're, we're particularly grateful when we're not suffering bad health. When we're, when we're healthy, we take it for granted. The first time I traveled in third world countries, I was, I was gone for three weeks. And when I got back to the U.S., I wanted to kiss the ground, uh, which wouldn't have been very sanitary, but, but that's what I wanted to, to do. Um, I was more grateful for all kinds of aspects of living in the States than I had been before, including especially back bathroom technology. Bathroom technology has, has come a long way, and it's great. I'm all for it. What we are thankful for and, and to whom we are thankful reveals much about us. Nations and communities, are, as well as families and individuals, are both shaped and shown by what they're thankful for. and to whom they are thankful. Just being thankful is good, and it's good to be thankful rather than be grouchy and and unthankful. But if you ultimately aren't thankful to God, then you're missing a huge point of what Thanksgiving is for. Israel was a nation that was supposed to be shaped by Thanksgiving to God. They had been in bondage for centuries in Egypt, and God liberated them and delivered them into the land of Canaan and gave them a, a, a new land. But when God prospered them, they, they took it for granted and forgot about him. Their enemies would take over, and then they would cry out to God, and he would deliver them again. And, and they kept going through these cycles. So they were grateful to, that God was faithful to them, even though when they, when they were unfaithful. Israel had feast days like Passover and Feast of Tabernacles and other feast days that were uh, to help them remember God's goodness to them and how he had had saved them and how he had provided for them. 
They had songs or psalms. So the song book in the Bible was the psalms of thanksgiving that reminded them of being grateful as well. Psalms 113 through 118 in, in the scripture is um, what's called the Hallel Psalms. Hallel means praise, like in the word hallelujah, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. And today uh, we're going to look at Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 was sung as a processional, so they would be marching up in mass to uh, the temple and singing this psalm. So uh, we're not going to march, but I'm going to have you stand as we read Psalm 118. It's kind of a long psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Father, take this psalm, this word that you preserved for centuries, and shape our hearts to be rich in giving thanksgiving to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated.
So the whole assembly of, of Israel is to give thanks to the Lord. Um, the Israelites, the priests, in, in other words, everyone who fears the Lord, so this is in the first four verses, could include Gentile proselytes, Gentile converts who fear the Lord, and they're in processional to the temple. So the focus of their worship is clear. They are giving thanks to the Lord. What for? For he is good. Do you know this? Are you convinced that God is good? That's good. Do you, be, do you believe that he is good? Are you thankful for that? In a world where there's so much that is not good, it's good to know that God is good. They are giving thanks to the Lord because he freely bestows his, his steadfast love on, on his people. For his steadfast love endures forever. His faithful love, his, his loyal love, his, his loving kindness is forever. Israel celebrated this because, uh, because they failed him so often. And he rescued them again and again and again, as we said. They rebelled against him over and over. They went after other gods. They didn't believe his word and, and did what was right in their own eyes. God would discipline them. They would cry to him and he would rescue them. So they're grateful for that a steadfast love is, is everlasting. It's forever. So should we be grateful that God is patient and, and forgiving, that in spite of our many failings, foolishness, forgetfulness, and, and foibles, his steadfast love endures forever. So the, the New Testament equivalent to his steadfast love is his grace, his undeserved favor, because God... The reason his love endures forever and it, and it doesn't get set aside when they fail is because nobody deserved it. And so he, he chose Israel as an example of, hey, I'm going to be gracious to, uh, out of a whole lot of undeserving humanity, I'm going to be gracious to this people. I'm going to set my love upon them. They don't deserve it, but I'm going to keep loving them no matter what they do. And that's great when you're the object of God's love. And then verses 5 and through 7 uh, he says, out of my distress I called on the Lord. So I don't know if he is a king or if he is just like the psalm writer representing all of Israel because he, he refers to himself as I. So whether it's a king, a specific king, David, or following later king, or just somebody speaking for Israel, um, it's either way, it, it, it's he cried out in his distress, he called on the Lord. The Lord answered and set him free, literally set him in a broad place. He says the Lord did this because the Lord is on his side as his helper. God is on Israel's side, not because they are inherently better than the other nations, but simply because he chose to set his love upon them. He, he chose them for himself. He set his love on them. And the, the psalm writer knows he will triumph over those who are against him. And he says in verse 8, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. He declares it's better to trust in the Lord than in people, princes, or presidents. We hope the best for our nation, our rulers, but we don't hope in them. We keep hoping the next president is going to fix it, and the next president never fixes it, so we choose another one, and we think that he's going to fix it, and we're unfixable. We hope for good things, we hope for better days, but, but ultimately we, we don't get fixed by any human means. In Christ, 
God's people are no longer just confined to the Jews, so thankfully God spread out his, his gracious plan to us Gentiles. And so we're no longer under a theocracy. A theocracy is, is directly ruled by God, a government of priests and God-appointed direct kings. And we, we, don't, um, we no longer advance God's kingdom by military efforts by, or political means. We do it through spreading the message of saving the saving death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how God extends his kingdom now, by extending the message of the gospel, the good news, the glad news of the saving mercy of Jesus Christ. So because he is for Christ, he is for us who are in Christ. So God is for us, but not because we've, we've got it nailed like we, we deserve it, but because he is for Christ. If you're in Christ, God is for you. He's 100% for you in Jesus. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can successfully be against us. If you're in distress, maybe some of you have been in distress lately. It's kind of hard to go through a week without some kind of distress. Call upon Jesus and be thankful that he is with us in our, in our distress. He doesn't always get us out of it, but he's always with us in it. He's always with us in our times of distress. And it's good to, to just train ourselves, depend upon, count on, on his goodness in our distress. In verse 10, he says, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. So how do we apply that? Hey, do you have people you need to cut off? Like not on the freeway, but people these, you want, I, I want them to be out of my life. I want them to be like gone. Is that how we apply this text? When you're looking for an excuse to, to use the scriptures selfishly, you can always find a reason to do that. Well, Israel or, says that all the nations surrounded him. and They surrounded him on every side. They swarmed him like bees. That's, that's quite a, an imagery. But they went out or they were extinguished like fire among thorns. So if, you, if you're burning like dried up thorn plants, the fire springs up and then goes out. And so how did he do this? Well, by his secret weapon, the name of the Lord. By the name of the Lord, he says, I cut them off. He was pushed hard so that he was falling, but the Lord helped him because he trusted in the name of the Lord. That is, he trusted in what God had revealed of himself and his purposes. He, he, he didn't just trust in his conception of God or some other version of God. He trusted in how God has revealed his name, his name his reputation for who he is and his promises. In our time, Christ is redeeming some from every nation, every tribe, every language. Again, he's doing this through the spread of the gospel to make disciples for Jesus from all nations, all ethnic groups. So the nations may resist the gospel as it breaks in among them. They may not trust in the name of Jesus, and, and they may fight against it. They may persecute his messengers, but the end of the story, so the Bible is, is got 66 books, but it's one story, and it ends with Revelation. And in Revelation, we read that God was successful in overcoming the resistance of some from every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language group. He, he's going to succeed in having all, some from every nation in his, in his kingdom. Some will resist it, and some won't bow to the, to the name of Jesus, but, but many will. So this is what God is doing now. We're not on. We're not destroying nations. We're we're 
about redeeming nations, people from all nations. There's a study done by the International Society for Human Rights. states that Christians are victims of 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world. Christians are the only religious group that is persecuted in all 16 of the countries highlighted as the worst offenders by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. So um, another research came up with this, that between 2006 and 2012, Christians faced harassment and intimidation in 151 countries, the largest number of any religious group. So we... We're not destroying people. We're, we're laying our lives down for people. We don't destroy our enemies. We, we pray for them that they would repent and turn to Christ, that, that their sins could be forgiven. That's our strategy for, for winning the nations, for overcoming the nations with the name of Jesus Christ. Christians don't kill their enemies. They lay down their lives for them, that they might be saved from God's judgment, which they will face one day if they don't turn to Christ. It's like Peter says, The Apostle Peter says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this you were called. In the book To End All Wars, Ernest Gordon, a captain in the Scottish Army, tells of his captivity by the Japanese during World War II in Chungai POW camp in Thailand. Their captors were brutal. The conditions were horrible. POWs were hopeless. Many were desperately sick. Many died, and it was it was kind of savage. Every man was for himself. One day, a Japanese guard said that a shovel was missing out of their shovel collection. If the prisoner who stole it didn't come confess, that the guards would start killing the POWs. The guard kept screaming at the people, at the men, saying, who's who's got the shovel? Who stole the shovel? Finally, a POW stepped forward. The guard killed him with a shovel. They counted the shovels again and realized that they made a mistake, that there was no missing shovel. So what had happened was the POW who had stepped forward had laid down his life for others. He took the blame. This was one factor that led to many in the camp turning to God. What had been like hell on earth became like an outpost of God's kingdom, as men loved one another as Christ loved them. They cared for the sick and dying. They held worship services and Bible studies. In the end, they even persuaded the liberating allies that came in when when the war was concluded and, 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 and encourage them not to harm their captors. So they had so much uh, adopted the, the life of Christ that this is how they were, how they treated their captors. In verse 14, the writer says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. Israel, or Israel's king quotes from the second line of the Song of Moses, which is in Exodus 15. Moses and Israel broke out in song after God delivered Israel from the Egyptians through the Red Sea. And it immediately rocketed to the top of the charts, the Song of Moses. The Lord doesn't just give his people strength to overcome what is against them. 
He, he is their strength. His people don't just sing about him. He is their song. He doesn't just save. He is their salvation. The history of God's unfolding plan and works of salvation have produced glad songs of salvation. I notice when I'm just spiritually out of tune, which happens frequently, it helps to just to listen to worship songs. It's like it drives the demons away and just helps my heart to praise the Lord. So we're, we're, we're wired for song. Even if you don't like to sing, hey, you're going to have to do it in the kingdom, so practice here. Get used to it. It'll be better. He says, well, what, what a culture sings about and how they sing about it reveals what they value and celebrate. So our songs reveal what we value, how we think, what our affections are. In the book, The Insanity of God, there was a, um, a Russian um, factory worker who started a Bible study in his home. And it grew to about 150 people. And so the Russian authorities said, cut it out or we're going to arrest you. And so they, they kept meeting, and so he got arrested and taken a 1,000 miles away to a, a, a maximum security prison for the worst offenders, about 1,500 people in this prison. His name was Dmitri. And Dmitri, uh, every day he would get up and he would turn toward the east and raise his hands and he would sing songs to God out loud. And the, the other prisoners would curse at him. They would, they would take their, their metal cups and, and bang on the, the bars. They would throw food and, and excrement at him. And every day he kept getting up and singing songs to God. What, the, what they said to him is, if you will just sign this paper saying you renounce your faith in Jesus Christ, we'll let you out of prison. If you don't, we're going to get your family. So they finally convinced him that they had uh, taken his wife, had killed his wife, and taken his sons into custody. So that was more than he could take. And um, it had been about 17 years, and he finally decided, okay, I'll sign the papers. His family at this, that time, who they had not killed and they had not captured, um, sensed that he was in trouble, so they began praying for him. And he said, somehow the Holy Spirit gave him a, a sense that his family was still alive and praying for him. So he said, I'm not going to sign the papers. So a few weeks later, they, they said, um, they, they decided to execute him. 17 years later, from the time he went into prison, they're walking him out to execute him. And all of a sudden, all the prisoners began singing this, one of the songs he had sung, God is my strength. And the guards freaked out. And they said, who are you? He said, I'm a son of, of, of the living God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they eventually just let him out. So songs come in handy for enduring suffering for our faith. He says in verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. As long as the Lord gives us life, we're to be talking him up. We're to be recounting his great deeds, telling of his great deeds, declaring his great deeds. Even if what we have to tell about is his severe discipline of us. Yeah, because he says, uh, 
The Lord has disciplined me severely, in verse 18, but he has not given me over to death. Have you enjoyed the Lord's discipline lately? See, it hurts. I don't like it. And why do you or did you discipline your kids? If you choose to do that? Because, yeah, they don't believe it, but you love them and you, want, you, you don't want them to grow up to be um, felons. It's for foolishness removal, wisdom enhancement. God is good and his discipline is for our good. So thank him for his discipline. Thank him in the midst of his discipline, even if it's severe. At this point in the psalm, the Israelites approach the temple gates and they say, hey, open the gates. So you see that in verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. So we're, we're here. We, we went into the temple to, to give thanks to the Lord. He calls the temple gates the gates of righteousness because the temple design, the furnishings and the sacrifices represented the way of God's people were counted righteous before him. And because righteousness was provided by God through his covenant relationship with the Israelites, they entered the temple gates to give thanks to him. So it's only because God chose to love them. It's only because God drew them into his, his family, making them his people, that, that they could be counted righteous. It wasn't because they had it. So they, they recognize that and they give thanks to him. So a good thing to do is every day thank God that he gives you the gift of righteousness in Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to jumpstart your being thankful, thank him for that. Because we're not on our own. He gives thanks to God because he's answered his prayers for salvation from his enemies by becoming, by becoming his salvation. Faith in Christ gives access to enter the gates of righteousness, that is, to becoming his temple. We are God's dwelling place. And we're going to dwell with him for sure, for, in full in the kingdom. But for now, he dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. Christ said he was the door to entering the sheepfold of his people. He is the way to the Father, the new and living way to God's dwelling place. And he himself is our salvation. Christ is our salvation. He didn't just give it to us. He is it. We give thanks to him for for giving us his righteousness, for delivering us from death. And then verse 22, he says these strange words, the stone that the builders rejected become a cornerstone. What did the stone that the builders rejected mean in that day? Well, uh, the cornerstone was, was the stone that shaped the whole building. So the building's founded on it, and it, and it set the lines for the whole building of, of the temple and other buildings that uh, they used cornerstones for. It could have referred to their king uh, symbolically, Jesus applied it to himself in his day when he told a parable that pictured the Jewish leaders rejecting him, putting him to death, but he would yet be the cornerstone of God's kingdom. So I'm the stone which you're rejecting, but God is making me the the cornerstone of building his kingdom. Um, This is what Peter preached, same verse in Acts chapter 4. He said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, so the religious leaders who killed him, which has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, he says. 
even though leading religious builders reject Jesus, the cornerstone of God's building plan, this fits into what God is doing. So God is using even the rejection of his own son to build his kingdom. His, his building work will be accomplished through Jesus, the cornerstone. And then he says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Anyone feel a song coming on? You remember that song? If you're like older than 40, maybe. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. That was for free. You can't pay for that. You shouldn't. But we should rejoice that God has started a new day that's lasted for 2,000 years with the resurrection of Jesus because that's how he's building his, his kingdom, his temple. Then he says in verse 25, Save us, we pray, O Lord. From the Hebrew for save, we get the word Hosanna. So Hosanna, O Lord, save us, we pray, give us success. Israel prays, continue your saving work, continue to, to build your kingdom. And they knew the fulfillment of, of this longing would, would be when the Messiah, the promised descendant of David, would come. That's who they're asking for when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people of Jerusalem shouted these verses in messianic expectation when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. So what we call Palm Sunday, they quoted this passage because they thought, hey, could he be the Messiah? And they thought a week later, no, he's not, and they killed him. But for a fleeting moment, he was, there was messianic expectation with Jesus entering Jerusalem. And as Jesus lamented over Jerusalem, as he said, hey, Jerusalem, you, God keeps sending you prophets, and he's, now he's sending you his son, and you're not going to, you're, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we pray, Jesus, come. May your kingdom come. May you continue to expand and extend the gospel, multiply disciples, among the nations, may your church be built up. Verse 27, the Lord is God and has made his light shine upon us. The Lord shines the light of the gospel of the glory of, of Christ in, in, in the face of God upon us. This is a new day of redemption through the cornerstone, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So he says, bring the feast day sacrifice to the altar and prepare it. How do we bring sacrifice to the altar now? Well, don't go killing one of your animals and bringing them in here. It's you. Only don't die physically, but by the mercies of God, present your bodies, your whole self, your whole life as living sacrifices. That's what God, God wants. He, animals were transitional ways of teaching God's people in, under the Old Covenant. With Christ's sacrifice, now we offer our lives to him as living sacrifices. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. I will exalt you. This is the highest act of what it is to be human. There's no higher thing you can do than exalt and give thanks to, to the Lord. No higher, no higher thing you can do. 
verse 29. You never thought we'd get to the end, huh? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is... Man! All right, we've got to start over. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is... Do you believe it? In spite of what's going on in your life, do you believe it? Do you believe that his, his hesed, his steadfast love is forever? Do you believe that his love lasts forever? That he has eternal good for us in Christ? The Apostle Paul wrote, Give thanks in all circumstances. He didn't say give thanks for all circumstances. He said give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's not that everything is good, but in Christ, he is working it all for good. He's doing it for, for his glory and for our good. We sang that. And um, we have our own feast of thanksgiving. We need to do it more than once a year. It's the bread and the cup of the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. We constantly do this together to, to remember what he's done for us, to invite us into his presence, to make us, his, to identify us as his people. So I'll ask the men to come forward, and we're going to pass the trays with the bread and the cup. Jesus said with, of the bread, this is my body, which is for you. And this, he said of the cup, this is my blood, which is shed for you from the new covenant. For his entering our humanity. I, there was an interesting quote by a, an old time writer. He said, God entered humanity through Jesus Christ so that God and man could be happy together again. That's pretty good, being happy together with God. That's what he invites us into. It's only because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. So as you take these elements, be grateful, be giving him thanks for what he's accomplished for us. Father, we we thank you for what you've provided for us in Jesus. We thank you that he is victorious over our worst enemies, our own sin and death and devil. And because he's gotten the victory for us, we have peace in him. We're, We're thankful for him giving us these gifts freely, choosing them, choosing to set his love upon us so freely because we couldn't ever deserve it. We couldn't be the type of people who in ourselves were attractive to you. You made us right with you by your gift of sending your son into the world to take on human flesh, to die a brutal and shameful death on the cross for us and be raised again to a powerful new life injected into our humanity through the Holy Spirit as we receive it by faith. So, Father, as we take these elements, may we be especially grateful that Christ continues to feed us, as it were, our our daily dependence upon him, to feed us with his word and spirit, to give us what we need to continue to grow in likeness to him. Help us, Father, for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.